I'm Mike. I'm Dave. And this is Between the Lines. And we're back. We are back. We're here. Unfortunately, Scott is not. He's not feeling well this week. Yeah, Scott wasn't. Uh, Scott wasn't feeling up for it. So um, we are live at the cabin again. Um, so if things are a little off, you may hear some clipping. You may hear some clicks and pops. Um, it's me trying to rap. <laughs> it could be. Could be. Um, there, there's also, um, I couldn't tell, honestly, the, the, the audio is a little off. So the theme music might've been a little bit quieter. There's just little things that might be off because we're winging it here, uh, on between the lines today, uh, from the middle of nowhere, Pennsylvania, middle of nowhere, but it's nowhere nice. Nowhere. It's a nice middle of nowhere. Yeah. It's really great. Uh, being out here, uh, I want to do, uh, sometime in the summer I'd like to do, and I talked to, to, we, we talked about this before, uh, back when. Jesse was uh, with us. He we we talked to Jesse. Uh, by the way, just a quick update. Um, I just talked to Jesse earlier in the week. He's doing good. Um, had some surgery on his on his arm uh, to repair some stuff. But we wish him well. Um, he just wanted to shout everybody uh, shout out to everybody and let everybody know. Uh, hey from Jesse. Um, hey Jesse. <laughs> so um, we we we. Um, we talked about it before. We'd like to have like a outdoor um, podcast up here at the cabin throughout the summer. We'll get to hear all those deer. Yeah, hear hear the deer chewing their grass. Um, we got so much, so many birds chirping outside, and the problem is, is the wind blows a lot up here. But it's it's beautiful up here, uh, and uh, it would be more fitting, I think, once we start doing the video. Uh, portions of the podcast in the future and things like that all that uh great background you know doo, 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 yeah doo, doo. yeah know, you know like those great disney films where <laughs> you know it started out you know bambi frolicking through the meadows and and the, the and then she gets shot <laughs> all the animals with cinderella so on and so forth but um so we were originally going to talk about the uh, the situation with the uyghurs that are going on and uh we decided that we couldn't do this segment without Scott's presence because he adds yeah. a lot of substance to the conversation. So we felt we would sidetrack and uh, maybe go into some related, um, nearly related uh, situations that are going on in news right now. Sure, sure. Like um, one of the one of the big things going around uh, in the Twitter sphere is hashtag Stop Asian Hate. Um, so we figured we would focus a little bit on a couple of things. Related to that, um, because we feel that kind of ties into um, the next couple episodes uh, when we talk about the, the 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 concentration camps in China and so on and so forth. Spoiler spoiler alert! Uh, the next couple episodes, I don't know if we're gonna do. We talked about doing multiple episodes on the on the Uyghurs. I just don't know if we actually are gonna do that or not. It seems like it's a topic that we might. It might be hard to compress uh down into there's one. a lot of substance there plus yeah. i was trying to get some feedback from the uhrp with regards to some of their advocacy work yeah. so it... yeah so it, it might be something where maybe we we do an episode um and and kind of go over the history of 
of how they got there, how these people um, in the the Xinjiang, uh, I do. Am I saying that right? The Xinjiang, Xinjiang, the Xinjiang uh, province in China. Um, there's a lot of history there. It's it, and it's not recent history. You're talking. Uh, I, I think all this happened before our civil war, did it not? Or was this this was well post, post World War II? Was it? I I don't know. I'm, most most of the mis- most of the up. history relating to what's going on now goes back to about 1940s. 1940. Okay. But so the actual was... the actual history of the uh, Uyghurs or Uyghurs uh, in relation to where they live dates back. Who knows? I mean, goes back quite a ways. Yeah, there's some of that clipping. I I just heard it again, and I know that that's got to be annoying. I hope that I hope that you guys can't hear that out there. We just we fiddled with the PA. Um, as much as we possibly could, and I couldn't figure out where that clipping was coming from. So um, if it happens again, I really, really, really apologize for the sound quality uh, on this one. We're working towards getting a new PA. Um, but uh, so, so just bear with us um, for the next couple of uh, podcasts or so until we can get some quality equipment. I've been using the same PA for uh, man, back when I was in a metal band, uh, and we we were using this this darn thing, so it's taken its uh, it's taken its uh, yeah we've we've put it through the mill yeah we've put it through some 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 rough times, a lot of memories uh, <laughs> going through so a lot of rum and cokes uh, we're sitting around <laughs> this PA system. Uh, so at any at any rate, um, well, just uh, let's a little bit of context on what. What actually happened down in Atlanta? Uh, this happened just what within the last week, was yeah. it? It was. Um, I want to say it was Thursday or Friday. So the news story was actually published four days ago. So seven, roughly about seven days ago. So okay, about so on the fourteenth, roughly. I'm way off. I'm way off. Um, but at any rate, it was it, after our last podcast. Anyway, it was throughout the week. Um, a gentleman who we won't name uh, simply because that's always been my policy. I'm not going to give these guys any kind of attention, but um, a mentally challenged man um, went on a killing spree apparently from all, and there nothing is nothing is officially released yet. You get bits and pieces through the media. So you got to take some of it with a grain of salt. I can't um, I can't corroborate any of it, obviously, because I can only go by what's been reported. But the way that I understand it is he was a, a, a somewhat religious person um, who prescribes to the chastity um, portion of his religion and believed that that was the only way to be sin free so to speak and he fell short of that because he would go and get his rope pulled um at these rub and tug places around uh atlanta and he which i might add is, is actually an illegal practice as far as in, i'm aware in atlanta yeah now i i did say like i, I posted something on facebook because it just i got frustrated with all the stop Asian hate things focusing on gun control. And this had absolutely nothing to do um, with Asians. I don't, I don't want to get too far off topic right now, but um, like he, he, he went around to these places and I, I said in there that, that 
if it's a if it's a legal massage parlor in Vegas or someplace where prostitution is legal and it's regulated, I'm not going to judge. I'm not going to go there. Uh, that's not my thing, but I'm not going to judge. Um, but keep in mind that even in legitimate uh, places like that, sex trafficking is very real. Um, and it affects the Asian community in, the, in, in America particularly hard um, due to many different factors, cultural differences, language barriers. It's hard for us as Americans to judge whether a child belongs to an Asian parent because there's cultural barriers, there's language barriers. We don't always understand the cues that are going on there, whereas if a if a, an American couple is with an American child and that's not their child, it'd be easier for us to pick up on the cues that that's not their child. And, and, and unfortunately, because of um, the differences in our cultures and, and the differences uh, just in general between our people, um, that, kind of, that kind of stuff might fly under the radar. But at any rate, I, I, I digress. Um, it really, the, the shooting in Atlanta, it affected the Asian community heavily because six out of the eight people that were killed were um, of Asian descent. I think what bothers me most, just looking at this from a very peripheral or a very like superficial uh, way, is that you get dramatically different motivations uh, that are trying to be established uh, depending on the media outlet that you're reaching out to sure. for this information. So, I mean, the, the initial thing, I mean, I, I get that if this was a, an epic or a, like a, what's the way I want to put it? If this were like a topper, so to speak, like there's been all this rash of different crimes in specific uh, ethnic neighborhoods leading up to something like of this nature. Sure. Would I could understand where that where that narrative would be coming from. But what bothers me is that I mean, we're in the United States. We know what the level of crime is throughout all of the areas that we live in. Sure. So I mean to to say that this specific instance of crime highlights a specific focus on an ethnic group, I think is a is a complete jump. Yeah, by I, all, I think it's a reach. Uh, yeah, by all accounts, it had more to do with his religious beliefs. Uh, getting into what I was saying, he was a very religious person, and he fell short of that. So his actual motivation, as far as the investigation is leading so far, is he was actually targeting sex workers and not necessarily targeting Asians. Now, if you want to make the connection and say that, you know, because he was targeting sex workers, he was targeting Asians. If somebody wants to make that connection, they can go ahead. But I tend to lean on um, just because you're a sex worker does not necessarily mean you're Asian. And just because you're Asian does not necessarily mean you're a sex worker. It's just coincidentally that in this particular neighborhood um, that he was focusing on a lot of the... Um, uh, a lot of the massage parlors in the area that provided those services. Yeah, I mean, we even our own uh, neck of the woods, so to speak, we have mm -hmm. have had confirmation of agencies that were doing this, and you know, in in this particular case, they were. Um, I, I remember of a particular story where a vice squad police officer, you know, actually went to partake of said 
Wow. And but it was it was a sting operation essentially. Um, to oh, I see what you're saying. So it was it was utilized to try to uh, fish out some of these instances. Now, to your point again, yeah, like you were saying, if it's it's a if it's considered a legal practice by state law to have these places, that's one thing. My, I, I think we're we're abstracting, you know, whether oh, yeah. whether or not this place was conducting, yeah. um, you know, the practices that it was practicing. They may were very well ha- were not. It may very very well have been that he was racist in the fact that he assumed that because there were Asians working at a massage parlor that that's what was going on. There. Yeah. So I'll I'll give that ground that that maybe he was racist on that on 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 that side, but he wasn't targeting Asians so far as the um, so far as the evidence suggests. He was targeting sex workers. Whether they were sex workers or not, I don't know. Well, interesting enough, let's uh, if we jump back a couple of years, do you remember the stories that were in the news with regards to the church burnings that were happening down in the South? Oh, yeah. There were probably, I forget, I, I know offhand of at least three or four uh, churches that were burned, um, and each of those churches were uh, comprised of specific ethnicities or uh, race, and it didn't get the kind of attention exactly. that you would have expected. Uh, and those are the kind of things that should be uh, rather than not that I, I don't want to make it seem like this kind of that the shooting in Atlanta uh, shouldn't get shouldn't get attention. But I think we're giving it too much attention. I think we're giving it the wrong kind of the, attention. True, true. And that's a good point, too. But I think a lot of these shootings, we, we give too much attention to. Uh, the shooting of these people, they're doing it for that infamy and that and that attention and the fame. And when we feed into that, that only gives motivation to the next person to have their uh, face plastered all over the news. Yeah, but yeah, I mean, I, I remember the uh, the implications from uh, the movie Bowling at Columbine. Yeah, are in you know just speaking about the difference in, and I think we've talked about this once before, just the difference in how Canada at one point in their history treated news. I don't know if I don't really watch Canadian news on a night to night basis. So I can't really testify this factually, but I think by and large, a lot of the news wasn't focused on bad things that were happening in the country in relation to this. So to your point, I think we do focus in on a lot of this instance too much. And there are people floating around out there. They're looking to get their 15 minutes of fame, but at the same time, in this specific instance, I think that there's a lot surrounding why the news media outlets are, are covering the story the way in which they are. Because right now, it seems like they're grasping for any kind of story that relates to racial discrimination, on, even if it's a stretch as to it being racial discrimination. I think that's where what we need to look at is, is this responsible? Yeah. Is this responsible coverage is of it- what's going on? <laughs> And and it sure does get clicks though. Oh yeah. The reason why oh, they course. sensationalize this stuff and why they focus on it so much is because it will get you ratings, and that's why I feel like one thing that other countries don't do. And I want to I want to word this carefully because you don't want to go into state sponsored media and things like that. But there's a lot of companies out there, a lot of countries out there that regulate their media. So that there isn't advertising 
Uh, and that's kind of how it used to be here in the United States. Like you weren't allowed to advertise for a particular like news station. You couldn't promote. I don't know how I want to put this. Like you, there was, there were ethics in broadcasting when you had your broadcast stations. Now that everything is purchased, you don't have to have those regulations in place anymore. Does that, do you understand where I'm coming from? Like the FCC would regulate what news was allowed to be because it was forced into your home. Like it was, it was broadcast through the radio waves for free. So anything that was considered public domain. Yes. So they, you weren't allowed to, for instance, elections, you weren't allowed to, uh, promote any a particular candidate you had to give you had to either not promote the election at all cover it neutral just talking about there is an election so on and so forth or you had to give equal time to each candidate and that kind of went out the window when you started buying your your news exactly. so so when yeah. you would pay when you would pay for your cable news now you are paying a subscription quote unquote for this news, they're not beholden to that anymore. They can feed you whatever they want to feed you. Fox News, CNN, that's why they can be what they can be. They can tell you what to think about the news. They're not telling you the news. They're telling you what to think about the news. Well, that kind of plays into what we'll be uh, talking about in this next segment next week is... Uh, one of the play-in stories is with regards to the nation-state-sponsored news stations um, and how they treat the stories relating to the Weigers and uh, what's actually happening there. So, I mean, this is kind of this is kind of a play-in on on that piece. Is that we're looking at? You know, next week we'll be looking at the extreme of what real Asian hate or ethnic hate looks like and yeah. how it translates into physical. Um, internment and whatnot and you know on a broader scale from a nation state standpoint how it translates into how the news stations will report on this information so it's very much influenced by the richest contributor which in this case happens to be the nation state or the ccp Um, so i think you know we are not at that point because we still have a free market and we can influence what we buy and what we invest into (laughs) to an extent. Yeah. Uh, But I think, you know, to your point is that there's very few news stations, media outlets out there that really toe the line of just reporting things as they are. And it's clickbait. Yeah. Quite literally, I would say that probably 90% of all the news that out there that's out there is clickbait. And we can, we could talk about that a little bit too. We got to take a little bit of a break here. Um, but we, we talked about that in past podcasts too, how, um, Walter Cronkite and, and guys of his caliber way back in the day, they would present you with the news. This, this is the story. This is what happened done. And then it was up to you to form an opinion on what you thought about that. He didn't tell you what to think about it, whether it was good or bad. He just told you, this is what happened. Um, so maybe we can, uh, another clipping. Oh boy. Um, maybe we can pick up on that um, when we come back. Um, we'll, we'll talk a little bit more about you know, how media ties into some of this and, and inflames uh, the, the rhetoric a little bit. 
Um, so a little bit of a break. Uh, we'll be right back here on Between the Lines. And we're back. We are back. We're here. We're here. And uh, so before the break, um, we were talking about clipping on our microphones. Jesus, stop. Uh, we were talking about the media media uh, sensationalizing um, certain stories for ratings and, and things along that lines. And uh, we were talking about Walter Cronkite and how he would just kind of give you the news Um this is the story that happened. This is where it happened. This is how it happened. This was who involved, who was involved. And that was the end of it. Who, what, where, and why. And then you formed your own uh, opinion on what happened, uh, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it, it just, it's crazy because you're seeing in the news right now with regards to these articles, you know, a couple different outlets, um, there's just this sudden community involvement with this long-standing apparent epidemic of hating people of asian descent yeah, yeah. and i i just i find it very hard um to to understand uh whether this is people that actually believe this or if this is just more um showboating to some degree i don't I don't, I'm trying, I'm trying my best not to use terms like this. Um, I'm trying to steer myself away from the us versus them kind of rhetoric. However, Democrats have a saying that they've used for decades, and it's don't let a good crisis go to waste. Hmm. Yeah. And um, they, they tend to... What's the word for it? I don't want to use jump on, but they tend to take advantage of um, when these kind of situations happen and using it to, to their advantage. So what it looks like to me is, and I'm using they, but they didn't care about Asians until they were able to use. That's that's what I'm trying to, that's what I'm kind of wondering about. It's in. It, it, to those of you that are listening to us, all five of you, mm-hmm. um, or how many are out there listening to us? Eight. We're up to eight. We're up to eight the last time we checked. The the thought I have, and just follow me on this, is if this is such an issue to where it would, you know, naturally uh, culminate in community protest and community marches. I grew up in a, in the city myself, mm-hmm. and I was a part. I actually took part in a couple protest uh, marches. Uh, with regards to violence that was happening in this city, uh, for various different reasons, there was actually a kid who was killed because he was um, homosexual uh, in this in the city many years ago, and there were marches with regards to that. Uh, it was a travesty. It was a tragedy. Right. It was not, not right. right, no matter how you look at and, it. And uh, there were there. Mur- I remember working in the educational system in Philadelphia. There were murders right outside the the facility itself. I mean. And it was a predominantly of one, you know, in that neighborhood, it was one predominant ethnicity that lived in that area. But there was a lot of crime in that area. And we protested that. I mean, what, what I'm trying to get at is that if there was such a degree of crime that's been happening that would have naturally culminated in these type of protests, 
shouldn't we have heard it to some extent by now? Yeah. Or, or are they just disguising it so much we're not even paying attention to it because on the grand national stage, it doesn't play into a larger That's narrative. That's exactly what it is, is. It doesn't fit. It doesn't fit the narrative that immigrants and minorities in this country are at a natural disadvantage because America is naturally and systemically racist that anyone who's not a religious cis male Caucasian person uh, you're not going to succeed and Asians break that narrative because whether you're Asian from India or Asian from Korea or Asian from Japan or Asian from China it doesn't matter most of most Asians are very dedicated um, very uh, work centric their their work ethic is um, well above par for the general uh, the average humanity so uh, the point is is they break the stereotype that if you are a minority or an immigrant in the United States you're a, you're at a disadvantage um, another point we we made earlier was if if Asians are at a disadvantage then why are they kicking them out of schools you're denying them access yeah to schools because they do better than everyone else well you know if you were to take what we're talking about right now and transplant us back into let's say the colonization days or let's go further yet into the mid to late 1800s before the turn of the century uh, when you had huge populations, uh, migrant populations coming to the U.S. for whatever reason. And a lot of these people were quite literally being bought and sold as labor. I mean, think about the railroads. Most mm -hmm. of the railroads throughout the U.S. were built yep. through Asian American labor. Mm -hmm. um, if and you not not above board not above board no not and above no, board and labor it, and it wasn't just it wasn't just them either there were many uh ethnic minorities so to speak the you have irish. to remember is that the irish were considered an ethnic minority the italians were considered an ethnic minority at one point yep. every single population that in one way or shape or form has migrated to this u.s to the u.s at one point was treated inappropriately inappropriately what i'm trying to say is that we have moved past that in great degrees, I would say. Mm -hmm. I would make the argument that since at least the 70s, mm -hmm. uh, at least the 70s, we have made huge strides away from that. That's not to say that there doesn't exist people within this country sure. that don't have racial bias in one form or another. Sure. The truth be told, it's like every single ethnicity has had some kind of beef with each other in some regards. I mean, we always joke about the Korean uh, shop owner on the corner who would have problems with certain... Uh, minorities or ethnicities walking into his own shop with yep. her it's it's just the point is is that you're always going to have people that for one reason or another have some beef with somebody else because of something they experienced or perceived to have experienced in their lifetime and it is grafted or changed their opinions with regard well, to a huge that. misconception is that racism is is uniquely american yes that that, that somehow um hatred and and racism only exists on american soil and i would argue that 
if you go to the heart of Africa, that that Africans are incredibly racist against other Africans. Well, look at the Rwandan crisis. Exactly. Exactly. What was that, 90? Early 90s? Exactly. So, yeah, uh, the genocide of an entire tribe of people is simply because they live in a different geographical area than you. Yeah, the Hutus and the Tutsis were actually, and the Tutsis were considered an ethnic um, minority, I guess. Yes. And the the, the Hutus uh, didn't, felt that it was necessary for them to cleanse yeah so it was genocide it was genocide it was genocide and uh i think something in the ballpark of two to three million uh people were killed yep. as a result of that and then since we're since we're on the asian theme um if you go to uh eastern asia and you're talking about countries like um laos and cambodia uh vietnam they're all um incredibly suspect of each other i i I don't want to go i'll say it they're racist against like koreans don't like the japanese the japanese don't like the chinese the chinese don't like yeah because of it i mean a lot of it has filipinos you know for them it's historical precedent but the thing of it is is that usually the cause for racism usually dissipates within the course of a generation or so. Yes. If you think about it. Yep. I mean, if you think about the, if in terms of time, how long does it take for something to be of no effect to somebody at some point? You, you, and what I'm saying is like, if we look at the Koreans and the relationship to the Japanese, I mean, I don't know how many hundreds of years you would have to go back in history to find when the Japanese were actually trying to invade the Korean uh, peninsula. Uh, you know, at least back to the at least back to the forties yeah. in World War Two, and 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 the 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 atrocities that Japan. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so so whew. you're you're gonna have grandparents at this point in life. You're yep. gonna have grandparents that very distinctly understand what happened at that point. Yep. It's like talking to somebody today about what fascism looks like. It's yeah. like you can't get a clear picture of what that looks like until you talk to somebody's grandparent that was actually living during world war ii and saw mussolini or franco or saw hitler himself in some form or fashion you know that's what i mean is that the generation we have today is in many ways separated by many many years and by and by consequence itself what what those people would have felt does that negate what those people felt and what they can talk to no sure that means that you don't have a griping point because of what they suffered yeah so. we're we're at least uh i think it's safe to say we're at least two generations removed at, at least from slavery in the united states right uh yeah but if you talk about more civil rights movement it would probably I, I, be yeah i'm better. getting to that but i'm specifically sl- slavery we're we're two generations removed from slavery yeah at least give or, give or take i mean because abolition i mean your of oldest course, your your youngest slaves during during the Civil War, um, before abolition, probably are only a generation removed. My, probably my point is, like twenties. We don't know. have anybody alive today that maybe even has a grandparent that was a slave. Yeah, you know what I mean. So, but my the point that I'm actually rounding to uh, in my uh, ignorant redneck way is that. We do have people alive today that experienced the Jim Crow South 
and yes. and the fight for civil rights in Selma um, and places down south and and really all over the United States, but lived through the racial tensions in the '60s through '80s yeah. uh, in the United States. So those experiences are passed down then to the generation today. And that's something that's a little bit more fresh with yeah. regards to And know. then and then now what happens is is and this is just my white opinion, but my in my opinion is the, the the generation today has heard stories about the dogs and the fire hoses and the burning crosses and the stuff like that. And then they see violence like Michael Brown and uh uh Floyd um oh my god i can't remember his last name george floyd um and and um and things like that you see those types of things happen and they're like okay now i understand what these stories i heard are about but the the context isn't quite the same yeah you understand what i'm what i'm trying well, to say narrative without consequence sometimes doesn't carry the substance or doesn't carry you know it's like again your grandfather telling you about what it was like, you know, let's say he was on the beaches of Normandy on D-Day. Yes. You can, you can hear it until you're blue in the face, but to actually be there and watching guys you're standing next to or soldiers drop one by yeah. one as bullet fire and cannon fire and all and manner. And you still get off the boat anyway. I mean, living hell. Yeah. <laughs> living. I mean, literally a living hell is what they were walking into. I mean, you know, and to think of that in the con in the context of people that were coming up through the fifties and sixties during the Jim Crow days, yep. you won't understand the the consequence just by narrative. You know, you would have to. But when you put it in context, the point I guess I'm trying to make is I'm not trying to make light of what happened to George Floyd because it shouldn't have happened. You shouldn't lose your life uh, at the hands of a police officer. Uh, like he did in this country. Uh, but the point I'm trying to make is is that was a different kind of incident. In the 60s and 70s, those folks were being, you know, dogs sicked on them and beaten by police simply for eating in a restaurant. You know what I mean? Yeah. The, the, which is, that is above and beyond any kind of acceptable behavior uh, that that's... Um, and, and to remember, never been seen. And this wasn't; these weren't isolated incidents yes. either. And that's the bigger thing. This was thing. the norm. This was considered the practice. Like you would have water fountains, you would have specific sitting areas, you would have everything that you could possibly segregate in one way, shape, or form yep. was being segregated in this part of the country. That's different. Yeah, that's a whole different ball game. So, and I mean, that's why I think before we move on from this topic, that's why I I I I have a strong opposition to what's going on in the country now because we're going back into segregation, but it's almost like a reverse segregation. Yeah. There's they're, they're, they're segregating. I don't want to say there the black communities, certain small factions of the black communities want to segregate black culture from American culture instead of, instead of it just being, American culture. Exactly. Um, you know, what, what Dr. King was fighting for was for everybody to participate in black culture and just have an American culture, not black culture, not white culture, just culture. 
and everybody can participate. He would love where we're at yeah. today. I'd I like uh, Morgan Freeman a couple times was interviewed. One by mm. by Don Lemon. Uh, he was also interviewed by um, can't think of his name right now. But anyways, the uh, couple of questions that he had been asked with regards to Black history and all that kind of stuff. He's like. He, he, he flat out, and you can watch this for yourself. This isn't me putting words in somebody's mouth. He said, yep. I don't want a Black History Month. Yep. He's like, I think Black History is American history, and yep. it should be as, in, you celebrated know, every day. Yeah, it, it'd be no different than a Jewish American celebrating Yom Kippur, taking off, you know, telling their kids, hey, can my kids take off for this day because this is a religiously experienced holiday on the behalf of our culture, and we would like to take, yeah, sure, that's fine. And, you know, there'd be no different than somebody uh, from African-American heritage, you know, saying, I would like to take uh, Kwanzaa off, you know, instead of Christmas because we celebrate Kwanzaa. I don't know how many people actually celebrate Kwanzaa, but I'm just making an example. Go for it. Yeah. It's like, well, if, you know, you're allowed within certain so many days in the year to celebrate, you know, whether it be in an employment situation or whether it be an educational situation. You know, yeah. a situation to be allowed. In other words, the integration of your history into American history to a point to where it allows anybody to celebrate their history because it's seen as no different than anybody else's. Yeah. That's equality. Yes. When 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 you get equal opportunities to express your own views through public practice or private practice or whatever the case be, that's what equality looks like. It's not, hey, we're gonna denounce everybody else's beliefs. So that one group gets elevated above the other. That's creating racism. It's essentially um, canceling out everybody else in light of one group in the name of reparation. Whoever that be. And I don't bring up the word reparation simply in light of what most people associate it with. Reparations could be seen in any context. I don't see the Jewish Americans going back and trying to sue Germany for reparations, even though they rightly deserve Absolutely. If you want to get into that, yeah. If you want to open up that can that, of worms, yeah, that ball of wax. Uh, let's let's go back to Rwanda. Let's go back to Cambodia during the 1960s. Well, how the far com- back do you want to go? That's that's always the argument exactly. that you make is how far back do you want and to that, go? And that's kind of what I'm getting at. But is at what point? I mean, we're human beings. We have history to remind us of things that were done that was should never be repeated. That uh, his history is not necessarily to be glorified. Because there are a lot of things that happen in our personal and our public history that, you know, are there and remind us out of regret, you know, what had happened. But they're markers to remind us this should never happen again. Um, so people, people argue with me all the time. They, they say things like, oh, we, we stole we should give we should give the land back to the Indians, um, Native Americans. Well, I and, personally and think reservations are, are for us. Oh, sure. Rock. Oh, it is. It is. But when the argument I make is, is okay, you want to give, you want to give the land um, back to the Native Americans. All right, what tribe? Because do we give it back to the people we took it from, or the people that they took it from? Because the Cherokees took from the Iroquois, the Iroquois took from, uh, you know, this tribe, and the, the, even before that, there were people here before them. That they took land from. So how, how far, how who do we give the land to? Who, how far back are we going to go, and give the land back? And and that's just the United States. Are we going to do that also in China? Um, so are we going to go and give parts of China back to Japan? 
because that's what it was in World War II, or do we want to go back further than that? Do we want to give Korea back to, you know, like... Yeah, I think, I mean, if you look at that situation, too, I mean, you know, there, there, were, there were a huge segment of the population during those times, and I'm talking specifically when Native Americans had claim in one way, shape, or form to the areas in which they lived. Um, and, you know, there were people, segments of the population that were morally opposed to what was going on in those parts of the United States. To get this, the point is, is to get this overarching idea to establish in your own thinking, this overarching idea that just because you live in the United States, that you have some connection to the, the racism or the hatred that was thrown against a certain people for whatever the reasoning, as wrong as it may be, to, to get this idea that every person that has any kind of ethnic relation to those people, it's like because he came from Poland, obviously you must have some connection to that person. Yeah. Or because you're from Germany, immediately you're a Nazi. Yep. You know, that that is just very limited and very um, immature. Backwards. Backwards thinking. And that is the type of thinking that's being highlighted and pushed forward almost. It's almost like what's being proposed as this is what this is the way we should think. This is the way oh you've your people, the people that you're related to hundreds of years ago were treated this way by this specific person that you're a friend with. You know, if you look into their background, they're of this ethnicity and you know their forefathers and foremothers and whatever the case be, were in some way, shape, or form involved with your oppression or your people's oppressions. So you should take that and transplant that into now, even though that has no rhyme or reason or consequence. Anything that was done then has any kind of uh, it's it's in it's not relative. You can see this happening now, and th this is kind of off topic, but not off topic. So so um, kind of wave me off if I digress too far down the path here. But you can see this actually happening now with the migrant facilities down on the southern border, and and follow me here. Um, it, right now, I'm actually having to remind conservatives who are outraged at, at Joe Biden keeping children in these migrant facilities that not but two years ago, we were defending Trump yeah. for keeping yeah. kids in these migrant facilities yeah. who four years ago were defending Obama <laughs> for the same, yeah. you know, so every time... The outrage is pointed at who's ever's in office. It's not a. It's not an outrage at a principle. It's an outrage based off of who you align yes, with. Yes, exactly. That's exactly my point. So I've had to remind conservative friends of mine. You know, you're. I think you're more upset with the immigration laws than you are with the actions of the current administration. I think what people don't want to discuss in this, and, and again, not to get off topic, we're digressing, but they, it, they it don't relates. want they don't want to discuss the pragmatism of immigration law. Like, what is what is the purpose of immigration law? Yes, is it to is it to express one's hatred towards a specific group, or is it simply to control the influx of individuals into a country? This is it. For, yes. at one thing, and you know, everybody's going to hate me for using the word Trump on this podcast. But one thing that he said is that the wall is not – don't look at the wall as uh, you're not allowed in, but 
how did he put it? Now I'm gonna I'm gonna f this. Yeah, up. it's I, I get the he, the general gist of it was it's not to keep people out, it's to protect the people that are well he, inside. He he stated it's a door. <clears throat> he yes. said the wall is not to be seen as a wall, but as a door. We prefer that you come through the front door, yeah. not over the wall, yeah. so to speak. Not and, through the windows. And, not and I the... thought about this in the context of Second Amendment rights. If somebody comes through your window, yeah. what is the immediate assumption? That the, yeah, that they're there to do no good. They're breaking into your home. You know, even if you're, a, if you're somebody that believes in guns or not, you, you could be the most liberal person on the face of the earth and believe that guns should not be owned by a single person. But if you have a family and you're in your home one night, and some random dude tries to break in your house through your window. He's not an invited guest. Yeah. He's not coming in. Now, if he, if he calls you and you say, hey, come over for dinner. And they come in through the front door. Guess what? Yeah. They met your criteria for entering into your home. That's right. And that's the that's uh, maybe simplifying things or oversimplifying things. But you're that's not. The general... You're not at all. Because the con- conservative argument has always been. If walls don't work, then why do you put a fence around your property? Exactly. To control who comes on your property. Why do you lock your front doors? Because you want to be able to control who comes into your castle. And this this country is our castle. And without borders, you don't have a country. If you can't control your borders, you don't have a nation. Yes. And in, in every country, every civilized country on the face of this planet has some kind of immigration policy with that regard. Yep. In fact, the United States has one of the more loose yes. uh, immigration yeah. law. Uh, you know, we accept more people, I believe, and and I'm I'm willing to be wrong on this, but I think we've done the numbers before. And the United States accepts more people than any other country by far. I think we're more than the top five. Yeah, uh, and and like millions and millions and millions of people come to this country every year, and rightly so. I mean. Um, I don't want it any other way. And here's just just to put a kind of a stamp of where we stand on this. You know, the thing of it is, is that I think populations immigrating to the U.S. is a good thing. And here's why. Because a lot of these people that are immigrating to the U.S. are immigrating because of conditions that they are experiencing in their own countries. Yep. And what what is so amazing to me is that you look at Florida and everybody kind of wants to point at Florida as being the conservative bastion right now but when in reality if you look at it a lot of the latino population that has moved into florida are the base of that party Mm -hmm. why because they're coming from countries like cuba they're coming from countries like the dominican republic they're coming from countries where they saw firsthand as early as one generation ago if not very currently as of today the 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 oppression that comes with a socialistic communistic regime Hugo Chavez and his son now, who apparently is now in control, you know, they, yeah, exactly. They're seeing firsthand exactly what the, the people, uh, you know, like the, some of the fringe groups in this country are saying, we want that or where walk around with their Chavez shirt, their shirts on and everything. Just to make a point real quick, how much of a slap in the face is that to a, uh, Somebody from Venezuela. Exactly. Somebody, and you, they, they, they get out of that situation and then come here and you got fucking hipsters wearing Chavez t-shirts. They're like, what did I just walk into? Oh my God, that's got to be a slap in the face. Not to, not to interrupt your point. But I mean, they, you know, they, of course they all describe themselves as democratic socialists, which means they're just voting in their oppressor. Yeah, exactly. So that's all it boils down to. Well, 
you know, this is a good this is a good segue back into um, the the Atlanta shooting um, thing. Is now they're they're going after gun control and Second Amendment rights, but um, of the of the immigration um, point, the of of all of the demographics of naturalized citizens, the number of naturalized citizens that buy firearms immediately after getting citizenship are predominantly Asian. Hmm. So when it, when somebody from China comes to the United States and becomes a U.S. citizen, the first thing they do is go out and buy a gun. Somebody from Cambodia or Vietnam comes to the United States and becomes a full-fledged United States citizen, yeah. first thing they do is go out and buy a gun. Why? Because they come from countries that do not allow private gun ownership. Yeah. And they understand the gravity of the self-reliance that comes with owning a gun and being able to protect yourself. I, I read a, uh, a post, and I'm just going to gonna get this verbatim, but there was a post from a gentleman in the United Kingdom that actually said, you there in the United States, and he was talking to the, the population, the common population, own 70 to 80 percent of the world's guns you know ammunition and just sheer number of guns that are owned in the u.s uh, the rest of us in this other part of the world are not even allowed to own guns in most situations except very uh, specific situations and he said you know you're going to be the ones that are responsible for saving our ass yep. in the future because none of us can protect ourselves at this point yep None of us have the ability to say anything at this point because we have no means by which – because when a government gets to the point where it no longer listens to you for whatever the reason, what what else do you – what other recourse do you have? Um, you know, we can, take, we can take the road of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and go to nonviolence, and that works in a lot mm-hmm. of situations. But when you have a government and people that don't give a rat's ass what you believe, you know, it <laughs> – I, I guarantee you the people that we're dealing with in government today would look at Gandhi as being a terrorist. Oh, sure. Oh, yeah. And that's... They that, would have let him starve. And that's my biggest fear in with regard, to, even since like 9-11. 9-11, a lot of people don't think about this outside of what happened, is the consequence of what came of 9-11. And I'm not talking about the 3,000 some odd people that died as a result of it. I'm talking about the laws, the Patriot legal, Act. the legal mandates that the con- the conservatives put their stamp of approval on. You hear that conservatives put yep. their stamp of approval on this as the only means by which to keep the country safe was to basically allow monitoring, unhindered, unethical monitoring of every single person in the United States. And we don't talk about that anymore because what? It's 20 years ago now. Yep. Well, we were all we were all in in a in a fervor. Um, a 9-11 patriotic uh, heroin ride at the time. We were yeah. all shooting up with red, white, and blue. Um, so we we were like, yeah, Patriot Act. I like the sounds of that. Um, and boy, oh boy, that was the worst. I think that the... I'm going to get a lot of shit for this. But I think the Patriot Act was worse than 9-11 itself. Oh, yeah. I, I would 100% agree. And I th- I'm sure that there's a lot of people across the aisle... Uh, would agree on that uh, that but you know uh, what we'll be talking about next week with the Uyghurs you know one of the not to jump ahead here but one of the uh, reasons that the CCP is giving for the way in which they treat these people 
are because they've deemed them as terrorists. Mm-hmm. As terrorists. Extremists. That's their way of justifying that these people are a threat. Mm-hmm. And it justifies in their minds the way in which they treat them. However, if you look at prison records and internment records, a lot of these people are being imprisoned for having a family member in the U.S. or praying or doing something that is out of the norm of what the CCP allows in terms of social or civility or whatever you want to say. So I, I'm just saying my, my connection there is that with regards to the Patriot Act, it may have had its roots in something that was very egregious and that you had a foreign entity that was looking to cause harm to common from citizens. From the inside. And yeah, from the inside. And yes, from that standpoint, it made sense. But on the grander scale... Um, it's been it's evolved into something very grotesque. Now it's a weapon. It's a weapon that's going to be used by its common against its common people uh, in some form or fashion. To put it in context, um, if you talk about what makes a terrorist, what makes someone seditious, what makes someone treasonous, uh, all three of those words. Um, could be used for every single person that signed the Declaration of Independence. Exactly. They were all terrorists. They were all seditious. They were all treasonous. Um, But yet, here we are today in the greatest country in the world, all because of seditious, treasonous terrorists. I think it kind of traces back to a movement that's been going on for a long time, whether it be very overt or not. I don't know if somebody can categorize it as that. But this movement to get rid of the word sovereignty, mm. this idea that a nation can't be sovereign, that's mm-hmm. been that's been a huge, huge uh, agenda with the more globalistic minded politicians that are trying to push the U.N. ahead of U.S. interest and whatnot. I don't think the U.N., you know, the U.N. serves a purpose in some sure. regards. But when it comes to national sovereignty, I think France, I think Germany, I think Cambodia, I think even China, believe it or not, they all have a right to establish their own policy. They have a right to run their countries as a sovereign nation. Now, should they be responsible for things like what the CCCP is uh, doing in terms of um, how they treat you know, common populations? Uh, we're going to have to take a little break here uh, just for a second. Um, I think we might have some company here. Uh, so uh, just take a quick take a quick break and then we'll finish our uh, finish our thought here uh, on between the lines. And we're back. There was there was nobody here. I yeah. don't I don't know. That was that was a waste of our time. It was just background noise. We, we, we even, just we just got tired of talking. Yeah, that's what it was. That's what it was. I mean, yeah, I'm sure you I'm sure you picked up on another mics. It sounded like they were having a Harley Davidson rally outside of the cabin. <laughs> Um, and it was it was just an, I thought I thought we have a couple of members here that ride motorcycles. I thought maybe a member was here at the cabin. I heard somebody going pew 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 pew. <laughs> um, so anyway, um, but the, the finish our thought uh, before the before the um, motorcycle kind of derailed us. Um, we were talking about uh, firearm ownership and what. Um, I think we were just trying to make that connection between where, where this extreme focus on anything that looks That's like right. racism the ex- translates into the like, forefathers were ra- were terrorists and the they used 
the, they use 9-11 to crack down with the Patriot Act and so on and so forth. It's it's racism, in my, in my own estimations, racism is one of those words that the more that you use it, the less value it, it actually waters has. it down. And I think what has happened is that at one point, Americans had at least a general idea as to what that, that word um you know, established is what was going on. Any more in, in, in the context of our culture, it doesn't. I mean, but I think that's why it's so essential with what we're talking about next week is that it's really going to give us, I think in my in my own thoughts, is that that will establish a very clear picture what of real, what racism, what it really, really looks, looks like, like. Um, for whatever the reason. And, you know, of course, in the CCP's reasoning, a lot of that stems more back to their philosophy of governance and, you know, what people should be allowed to say and think because otherwise it detracts from their ability to control a people is really what it boils down to. Yeah. And, um, you know, to that point, a lot of, a lot of, uh, the times that racism is thrown out in this country today is you disagree with me and don't like my opinion, you're racist. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's not an, you're an actual racist. It's, uh, you're, it's, it's almost like calling somebody a jerk. You're, yeah. you're an asshole. You're racist. It's the it's it's an insult now. It's not a there's no it's been it's it's a cartoon. It's 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 no longer it's a meme. You, you get where I'm going with it. It's well, well any more to back to what we had started talking about just with it, it, in my own estimations, kind of the irresponsibility of our media and the way in which they portray a lot of this stuff. I think that they're absolutely they're it, they're turning what should be a serious conversation into clickbait. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's the equivalent of, you know, taking that catch me outside girl from Dr. Phil and turning in her into a real legitimate conversation. Piece. Yeah, a nightly like, news reporter. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's, it's like, you know, at what point do we just or say a congresswoman? <clears throat> I mean, yeah. <laughs> at what point do we just step back and say, this is absolute idiocy, mm-hmm. you know, and just like, this is this is immature. This isn't how grown adults in a society where we both have, you know, if there's a level of respect on the playing field, then people understand how far they can go and how far they can't go with regards to how they deal with one another. This is why it's very important to protect great people. Yeah. Because if Dr. King were alive today, he would set straight a lot of the misconceptions that are going on today all the violence around tearing down statues and all that stuff he would be against that for sure um there's there's better ways to do it am i am i saying that the statues again i hate going back to this argument but i've never said the statue shouldn't come down it should just be uh it should be a democratic process you should go to um town meetings and and go through peaceful uh, means to get them down. Don't just go go there with a mob of people and a rope and tear the statue down. That's not how democracy works. It's it's a little different than what happened with Stalin. I mean, if you think about when the uh, when what was it back in the eighties or nineties when they pulled the statue of Stalin down. That was that's different. Different because you're you have an edifice to somebody who's that was currently in office persecuting yeah. its own people. 
Um, it, it'd be like having a statue of Saddam Hussein. When or, they tore down the statue of Saddam yes. in Iraq after we liberated yes. Iraq. Or the Berlin Wall. Yep, when they uh, tore the, down the Berlin Wall. You know, Wall. maybe that wasn't a statue, but that was by its very existence a, a physical, physical separation of two peoples that have the same lineage. Uh, yep. The East and West Berliners. Yep. Uh, I mean, it's it just it's it, there's a difference in being able to, not to say that we couldn't have a statue of Stalin in a museum talking about communism. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with that. Nope. But you know, to have a statue that says you know we're gonna worship and glorify this guy, and that's the difference. It's a, nope. it's the difference in I how a people understand that looks at it. You know, yep. I, I don't think any of the forefathers should be worshipped in any capacity i mean because you get these people on the right side of things that you know basically turn them into mini gods and you know like they did no wrong they said no wrong hear no evil speak no evil so on and that's not the case no they were all human but the ideas that they collaboratively established because the they were nonetheless irregardless of some of their viewpoints on things were very intelligent people by our today's standards even yeah um you know, they established some very central core ideas that hit on the heart of what it means to be free. In a lot of you you're know, talking about people that still believed in leeching and and that sickness was caused by, uh, you know, n- not g- going outside with wet hair. Would, exactly. You know what I mean? These are critical these are, thinking. Yeah. These are, <laughs> these are. These are these are the same people, but the, yet the ideas that they came up with were bigger than themselves. Exactly, and that's the point: is that when you can live by something that's bigger than yourself, you know. It, and I, it, we we've just gotten to a point where, you know, to go back to an old phrase: we throw the baby out with the bathwater because somebody had some tie, whether loosely or direct, to something. Immediately, it's wrong, or whatever the case be. You know, that would be. If we apply that litmus to every single person, there would be nothing written. There would be nothing to talk about. There would be no history. It would be like, you want to watch a movie about this? Watch Equilibrium with Christian Bale. It was yeah. from you know the early 2000s. You want to talk about a society you know, that would, would, would reflect what they're trying to do today in terms of whitewashing you know, everything. Sterilizing. And anything, sterilizing, everything. essentially. It basically leaves... Human beings is nothing more than just, yeah, you know, just just a passing fancy. You know, it's just we, we're of no consequence. We're of, and, and you know, when you get to that point, you're we're merely existing. Nihilistic is what it is. You know, nil, nihilism is a growing prevalent idea that a lot of philosophers have come to recognize in today's society, in which people believe that in order to save the earth, we have to destroy ourselves. And that's why, you know, and we can get into this in later arguments sure. is that, you know, this translates into the whole climate argument. You know, I, 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 I am a person that lands in the middle on things. I believe that conservation is important and climate is a real thing. But at the same time, I don't think it should ever get to the point where we start saying that people are of no consequence when it comes to I think people are always more important than anything else mm-hmm. that happens on this earth. Yeah. I mean, but that that comes with a level of responsibility on the part of those people. Absolutely, as well. absolutely, absolutely. And there's 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 a fine line in every in every um, what's the word I'm looking for? Every endeavor, every uh, every anything that you set out to do, there's a fine line that you have to that you have to balance between one extreme and the other. 
So for for your argument, um, environmentalism, you really have to balance. Um, you know, is it is it good for the planet? Um, but is it also going to cost? Is more it going to cost worth. more in human? Uh, you know, in human sacrifice, or in not necessarily human sacrifice, but but are we is is the quality of life going to going to d- diminish simply because we're doing this? And is that worth it? Sometimes, um, you know, a, a, a lower quality of life in order to make environmental, um, you know, lesser environmental impacts is worth it. Uh, for instance, it would make my quality of life a heck of a lot easier if I could just dump my garbage in the pond. It would be it would be easy for me to just dump all my garbage in the pond because I have an easy place to put it, but the quality of life for the fish is going to be shit. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean. So you're you're trying to balance that, and then and then at the same time, I wouldn't be able to use that pond anymore. So I've got to balance. Okay, so maybe I don't want to put my garbage in the pond. I'll no. find another way to. And even and to that even greater argument is with regards to, I think the common average person. Uh, with any sense of empathy or sympathy has has attributed some level of value to those things that are living on this earth whether ranging from plants to animals and that being the case is that we're not going to do that stuff we're not going to want to do those things simply for the fact that we see how it affects creatures essentially that are innocent and separated of what we what we do you know they have no they just they essentially suffer the consequences of everything that we do and say in in this world. But, Absolutely. But that being the case, that's what I, I I would be fearful of the people that don't have any sense of empathy or sympathy towards creatures. And I'm pro hunting. I'm pro Second Amendment. I'm yep. very much pro those things. But I would be very very remiss to want to deal with a person who has absolute that would beat a dog cruelly or would would treat an animal cruelly or whatever the case be i would be very suspicious of how that person would treat another human being simply for their their willingness to treat an innocent you know unconsequential or inconsequential creature you know (laughs) well one of the biggest misconceptions of hunting is that um that hunters don't care about the animals that they kill exactly and that's that that could be nothing further from the truth it kills me every time i have to kill an animal i hate i hate to see an animal lose their life however um if we didn't hunt and we didn't do um you know herd management disease would get out of control uh populations would get out of control you would have deformities uh birth defects all kinds of other stuff. All all these are consequences of overpopulation. Um, so th- that's a th- that's a big misconception of hunting, and 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 that's just a good point. Is that we really care about every single animal in the woods, even the ones we don't hunt, because everything works together. So, as a hunter myself, uh, environmentalism is really important because I want the best possible environment for the game that I hunt. I want the strongest herds possible. I want, you know, I want the strongest game possible. And to that point, we also would lease our property out to, um, 
you know oil oil wells and for pipelines and things like that because you can have a balance between industry and environmentalism um we'll have to take a break uh real quick on that note that's it that's a good um, bullet point to stop on um we'll take a break real quick and then we'll come back and kind of tie in how this is all going to lead into next episode uh so on and so forth so quick break real 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 break this time uh, lots of clipping real break this time and then um we'll wrap it up here on between the lines and we're back hey oh huh. <laughs> you know it seems like the more the more we do these things the longer they feel like my ears <laughs> my ears right now feel like they're about to fall off I'm in an echo chamber right now. <laughs> I never I never knew how annoying it could be listening to myself talk for <laughs> such long extended periods of time. Now I know. Yeah, it's 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 definitely strange having having yourself in in your in your headphones when you're talking. It's... Some sometimes I just want to stop mid sentence be like, Will you just shut up and listen <laughs> to yourself for a minute? So throughout the episode, uh we had just had an overall overall arcing theme um related to the stop asian hate hashtags uh, that are going on um so one of the things that i wanted to 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 kind of wrap up with is um you know if you really want to stop asian hate there's a lot of things that you can do beyond restricting the second amendment rights of people that have nothing to do with asian hate um, for one, um, you can support uh, a free Hong Kong. Um, the, the, the Chinese government has recently taken over the elections in Hong Kong, so yeah. that should make everybody feel nice and warm and fuzzy yeah. uh, on the inside. Taiwan's uh, next on their list. Taiwan's next. So, so all of these independent areas in Asia uh, are falling like dominoes, and everybody's silent on that, but they want to talk about the, the massage parlors, which, again, we're not trying to um, you know, water down or lessen uh, what happened in Atlanta. It's just that there's some, some things that we should have been talking about a long time ago, um, before this happened. No. So the, you know, the stop Asian hate stuff isn't new. Um, secondly, um, you can one don't restrict, uh, second amendment rights because Asians of all the naturalized citizens, um, that come to the United States and buy firearms, Asians are number one. So if you, um, put any kind of restrictions on second amendment, especially for those on naturalized citizens and things like that, then you're, you're inadvertently affecting the Asian community. Uh, just, just, just from, from that. Um, and then what we'll tie into next week is pay attention to the brands you're buying. Uh, find out where you, the companies that you like, uh, the things that you buy, um, those new Nikes that you're, that you're looking at, um, look at the supply chains, find out where, um, that stuff is working because 83 U S companies, uh, use forced Chinese labor, um, in, in their supply chains, uh, whether it be cotton, um, from the, the, uh, Yingjiang 
how do you say it again? Xinjiang. Xinjiang province of China. I always, I'm always going to butcher that. Um, they, they get cotton from Actually, that region, they, other textiles. If you want to make it simpler, they refer to it as Turkestan. Turkestan. Oh, okay. At least that, that section of the, uh, you know, because it's closer to Central Asia. Fair enough. Fair enough. So, um, that's those those things I think are things that we all can do um, on a daily basis that will directly impact the Asian community and and, and the Asian uh, geographical region in general. Um, so next week, um, just to tease some of the things that we're going to be talking about, uh, we're going to start talking. I think, um, and maybe we'll get pinpointing on this a little bit, but we're going to talk about the Uyghurs um, in. Uh, China in these uh, concentration camps that are being used for um, forced labor, among other things. Uh, genocide is happening there. I believe the number, and I'm just going by rough estimates, the number is at what, like 12 million at this point? Yeah, uh, it's it's ranged from 10 to 12 million. I, I can't get like clear numbers, but supposedly about one... One to 1.8 million of the 11 or 12 million people that live in the Xinjiang province are in internment camps. Yeah. So nearly a tenth, nearly a tenth of the population is in internment camps. Campments in some. And those are those are the ones we know about. That, they're the ones we know about. Yeah. And and uh, you know how the Chinese government works. It's they're like. I'd, for every for every one thing that you know about that they do, there's a hundred things under the surface that you don't see yeah. that they've got their tentacles in. I just uh, I guess my my thing leading into next week is that just in light of what we were talking about today is just making that distinction between what what we have in the United States and what they have in uh, areas like the People's Republic of China are two diametrically different things. Mm-hmm. So what should you know, whereas what happened in Atlanta, by my estimations, is an isolated incident. Yes. What happens? Unrelated, isolated incident. What happens in China is not unrelated, is not isolated. It's it's on mass. It's happening to entire populations, uh, huge proportions of those populations. It's tangible. It's measurable. It's real. So, it's it's there. So we may have situations, and we may have problems in this country but they're isolated in relation now does that mean that we shouldn't talk about it no but i think we need to be my my whole when we started getting got getting into this conversation my thing was is just the sheer responsibility that our media outlets uh, on both sides of the aisle should be sharing with regards to how they treat these type of situations absolutely that you know you know you've got people halfway across the world that are truly experiencing what it looks like to be hated and uh, suffering the the public policy of a government that wants to quite literally wipe you out, to whitewash you quite literally. And I was thinking about an article I had read from The Atlantic uh, from 2018 that was talking about the whitening of Asian Americans, uh, just how that, you know, and you know as well as I this year is that they've been, you know, some of the more liberal news outlets um, – and I wouldn't even call them liberal, just, you know, off the wall news outlets were treating, um, you know, Asians as being more white 
and so they don't have any consequence, you know, or they don't bear any consequence in the national argument because, yeah. you know what I mean? Yep. Almost like kind of negating, you know, their feedback on anything that's going on in the U.S. when in reality, you know, regardless of what percentage of the population they consist of, they are as much relevant as anybody else in the U.S. And that's the point yeah. is that the more that they try to isolate these ethnicities within the U.S., within these news stories – the more responsible I think they should be held, these news agencies, for the way that they're separating people from one another through these ways. But if you really want to look at uh, a real distinct measurable uh, separation of a people to the point of almost wanting to get rid of them, and in fact that's what they're trying to do, then I would definitely tune in to next week and listen to – what we're going to be uh, touching on. There's there's a lot of stuff there. And then there's a lot of good movement actually from the U.S. because right before the uh, 45th president stepped out of office on January 13th, they banned all exports of cotton from the Xinjiang province, yep. which uh, I think somebody had mentioned that about 100% of retailers are pulling cotton from you know, from those specific provinces in China. Yep. So that's important to note. So nonetheless. And uh, one other thing that was done at, around that same time is they actually did declare it a genocide. Yes. Um, it was actually officially considered a genocide in, in China. So not saying that we don't have black eyes and warts, um, but there are places in this world that are far worse um, than the United States. And, you know, while we do have a lot of work to do here, um, there's things that we need to do right now um, to save these people because this is akin to Nazi Germany or Pol Pot or this is this is serious. This is this is, um, you know, world changing um, generational opportunity um, to, to do real good in the world. Um, and we need to, we need to take action now while the numbers, you know, 2 million before it gets to 4 million, 6 million, you know, uh, they're, they're not going to stop until we stop them. You know, they have no reason to stop until we start cutting off the supply lines. Yeah. I think the one thing that we can probably look at in our next segment too, is just the sheer amount of push that required for even you know the u.s to get involved in you know what was happening during world war ii a lot of it really didn't even have any bearing on the fact that there was genocide happening it was more the fact that when the pearl harbor happened you know it stepped onto our own grounds and in reality that's what we need we need to personalize these these issues that are happening halfway across the world because we have people populations, migrant populations that are living in the U.S. legally sure. that are being affected directly by this action. So yep. when you look at it from that perspective, uh, the CCP is declaring war on our citizens, mm -hmm. people that are living. And that's how you need to look at it. If you want to talk about bringing people together, then, you know, there's nothing that does it better than a common enemy. Yep. And, you know, we have a common, common, I'll say it right now, any CCP supporting person out there, we have a common enemy. Absolutely. And it, it has a red flag and a star atop it. That's right. China is not our, China is not our ally. 
as much as we want to kid ourselves and pretend like they're our friends, they um, are their relationship with us. As long as it benefits them, they're going to let it continue. Um, and as soon as it stops benefiting them more than it benefits us, they're not interested anymore. Um, so you gotta, you gotta remember that the, they're not our friends. They're not our friends. They're in it because it benefits them. And that's, it's always been that it's always, Oh, excuse me. It's always been that way. So, so I think we had a special guest plan here yeah, for a couple of minutes. We have, um, just real quick. We have somebody here that wants to, that wants to be part of the, wants to be part of the fun. Uh, my my boy's here today uh, because we're up at the cabin and he wanted to come along, so he wanted to say hi. Hi, everybody. That's Aaron. That's my son. Uh, he's he's here with us today. Um, what do you think of all the boring stuff we've been talking about today? I don't know. It just sounded weird. <laughs> we're but weird. I, but I do understand that the stuff that's happening in china is like the holocaust in a way yep it sort of is isn't it yeah not good huh i'm a history person i know that was a massive genocide over was, 20 million people were killed i don't know if it was 20 million it but was. it was quite a bit it's quite a bit really bad stuff huh <laughs> this is what you have to aspire to when you get old and stodgy like us yeah you so to... you can talk on for long extended periods of time about Boring, boring, boring stuff. <laughs> it's important, though. It's important stuff, though, right? Yeah. All right. So uh, next week, hopefully Scott feels better and he'll be back with us. Um, we'll be talking about the genocide in China. I'm getting a little bit uh, uh, history uh, of how we got to where we are um, and the lead up to where we're at um, and things along those lines, especially. So tune in. Ugh. Tune in next week uh, when we um, get a little bit further in depth into what's going on in China. Um, anything you want to add before we head out? Stay safe. Yeah. Stay happy. Enjoy the weather. Spring is yeah. finally oh, rolling around. So I am so happy that spring's here. Um, I'm I'm just tired of being inside all the time. And that's uh, I hope you were just checking that for gas. <laughs> All right, everyone have a great week. Um, don't start any fires. Um, just just let, let's Unless try it's to, a bonfire. Yeah, that's, that's a good fire. That's a good fire. Your campfires are okay. Let's let's try to bring the temperature down a little bit, though, and, um, and um, level things out. Uh, next week, um, genocide in China. We'll be talking about the Uyghurs. I hope everybody comes back uh, here on Between the Lines.